Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Glad to welcome you back on campus and all of you who are watching us online. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for sharing the service with your family and friends. We tell you we're on three different platforms, reaching thousands of people through that uh, means of communication. So thank you for partnering with us in doing that. Hope you've had a great week and we're excited about a new week ahead. And we've been talking about and will continue to talk about this power of transformation, the ability of God to take us where we are and to transform our lives in such a way that we take it to the next level, we have a different level of impact, and we can truly become the people he's designed us to become. God has a plan for your life, he has a will for your life. Jesus said, if you will to know my will, you will know my will. (laughs) And so if you desire to know why he has you here and what your purpose is for being here, you can know that. And our job is on the weekends to kind of help you connect some dots Uh, help your life be more meaningful and rich. And I pray that through this series, we'll have a new understanding of how God can take the good, the bad, the happy, the sad. He can work all these things out for our good and ultimately for his glory. I think everything we go through in life prepares us for the next thing. I think God is purposeful. He does everything on purpose. He does everything with purpose. He does everything for purpose. Somebody well said, and it stuck with me, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He didn't just look down from heaven and discover us one day, scratch his head and say, I don't know what I'm going to do with that one. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose. So he has purpose. By the way, he is intentional. He's intentional. When God is working and you can see him working, then you can be assured of the fact there's a purpose. When uh, you can't see him working, God is still working and he has an attention and he has a purpose. So I am all uh, the more convinced in the season that I'm in in my life that God does in fact have a plan and it is in this power and it is, it, it is in this word transformation. In fact, if you uh, have a, a Bible, you wanna look at the screen, we've kind of given you the, the, the basis of the series. It's really wrapped up in this contrast between confirmation or transformation being conformed as opposed to being transformed. And in Romans 12, verse two, Paul writes and he says, look, don't don't do this anymore. Now he's obviously writing to people who've connected to their creator. He says, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) So he says, don't anymore be conformed to this uh, pattern of the world. Now I explained it last week, but let, let me cover it again for those of you that might not be aware of it. That expression, the pattern of the world, could be summarized as a system that does not include God in its thinking, right? We might even say secularism. Uh, you and I were born in that world. We were born with a, uh, a sin nature separated from God. It is the natural drift of the default settings of life. It is the pattern of the world. Uh, most people don't think much about God uh, un- until they're in a very hard place, and I understand that. Uh, there, there's a tendency that you have. I don't think most people are theoretical atheists. They're more practical atheists. They don't believe in theory there's no God. They just live as though there's no God. And so that's where most people trend. And so I'm just suggesting that there is a a pattern that's there for a, a Christ follower, for someone who does know God, that it's easy to trend that way. Like I said, it's our default settings. 
Um, when you pull the oars of your life in and you drop the sails and you kill the motor and you drift, you never drift the right direction. Uh, you have to be purposeful and intentional. Otherwise, you're conformed into the pattern of the world. To be conformed means to be pressed into the mold of. So you can get pressed into the mold of a way of thinking that does not include God and the way of life that does not incorporate God in it. And so that's the drift. So Paul said, quit that, stop that. <laughs> Don't do that anymore. Instead, be transformed. It's the idea we said of metamorphosis, where the caterpillar into the cocoon emerges from the butterfly. It's a process. And that transformation, he said, happens first and foremost with the renewing of your mind. How you and I think. We have to decide we want a better life. We have to be disciplined to have the better life. We have to be determined to drive toward that better life. And when we're partnering with God in the process, there's this incredible thing called transformation that he brings about in our life. And there's a way you can measure that. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul said that there it's like a mirror. He said, I'm looking into a mirror, and I'm seeing the reflection of God in the mirror that I look at. In other words, he's using the metaphor to say, you can measure how you're doing in transformation. You can look at your life, and you can actually see uh, whether or not there's signs of growth, or whether there are uh, these spiritual disciplines that you're following or paying off. There's a way you can measure that. No worthy goal is a good goal unless it can be measured and attained. <laughs> and this transformation can be attained and it can be measured. Paul said, I, I look at my reflection and I can see a little bit of who God is looking back at me. We talked last week about the power of his love. When you look at your life, can you see a little bit of God's love looking back at you? Do you feel like you're more loving now than you were a year ago? Are you more uh, forgiving now than you were a year ago? Are you more accepting now than you were a year ago? When Jesus said it, he put it this way, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I won't turn them away. It's the welcome mat of the church is whosoever will, let them come. And so one of the things God will begin to produce in a transformed life is his love. And this morning, we're going to talk about another thing that you should be able to look in the mirror and be able to see, and that's this element of joy. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23, you really see the basis of this, where he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now, it's not the fruit that I bear. It's not the fruit of a believer, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning this level of joy and this level of love cannot be attained on our own. Now when we talk about joy, many people confuse it with happiness. And we automatically think that happiness and joy are the same and they're, they're really not. Uh, happiness, the word happiness, comes from an old English word that we don't use anymore called happenstance, happenstance. Uh, we use this word circumstance. But it used to be said that if your hap is good, you're happy, and if your hap is bad, you're unhappy. Hap is circumstance. Everything about your happiness depends on your external circumstance. So if externally what's going on in your life is pretty good, if things are going your way, it's a beautiful day outside, and, and, and when all of those elements come together, you can be happy. But the problem with living your life on a basis of happiness is it's totally dependent on externals, most of, whom, uh, most of which we're not in control of. So we have this idea of being happy. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being happy. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You know, don't go find a tooth and run out and build a dinosaur. I, I'm not saying it's not good to be happy. Let me cover that. I'm just simply suggesting to you that there is a difference between happiness and joy. 
Joy doesn't depend on externals. Joy depends on the internals. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning that joy is something the Holy Spirit, this partnership you and I have with God in the process of this transformation that he produces in your life. I'll go so far to say you can be joyful and unhappy at the same time. You can be unhappy about a circumstance you're going through in life, but deep down inside, there can be joy. I mean, there's a difference. You can have joy with a broken heart. You can have joy in a broken relationship. You can have joy with a broken life. There can be some terrible things going on in your life externally, but internally, there can be this presence of God, this peace of God, this joy of God that's indescribable. It's really hard to define it. It's something that is hard to express, but it's something that you can experience. It's real. It's something that God will give you. In fact, when Jesus was teaching the Beatitudes, one of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you know the word blessed and joyful are the very same idea? Joyful are those who mourn? Well, yeah. I can tell you from personal experience, it's possible to have your heart broken and your soul crushed, but still experience a deep sense of joy. Just know somehow, some way, God has a purpose, there's a plan, there's a reason, and deep down inside, it's nothing that I can produce. Very unhappy about all that experience. I don't think I'll ever get over that experience. So it's not something that I think happiness will ever be associated with that experience, but I can tell you what is, it's joy. It gets you up and going every day. It lets you know God's got this and he's got you and that he can't fail. He is intentional and he is purposeful and he can use the experiences that we go through, good, bad, happy, sad. All of those things can work together to transform us into the people he would have us be. Paul is a good example of a joyful man. Went through a lot. <laughs> he had people problems. He had situation problems with, with things going wrong in his life. He had health struggles. He had been beaten and left for dead, betrayed. I mean, wow. He had gone through everything. And what's sad about it is when you really look at his life, he didn't bring a lot of that on himself. I don't know about you, but I can understand when I go through some bad stuff that I bring on myself. You know, stupid is as stupid does. I mean, we get that, right? But the hard thing to deal with is when you're going through something and the dots don't connect, none of the boxes check, and you just say, this makes no sense. And Paul, that could have been his life. In fact, when you read this little tiny letter tucked away in the New Testament called Philippians, it is a little epistle that he wrote to uh, the people in the town of Philippi concerning uh, his concern for them. And when you understand his circumstance, very unhappy circumstance, uh, it, it really makes what it, the theme of his book even more powerful because the theme of Philippians is joy. <laughs> joy. He writes about 19 different times in Philippians, those four little chapters, talks about joy, rejoice in the Lord, have joy, be joyful. He was sharing joy. Now listen, he's doing this while he's chained between two Roman guards. He's in prison under the reign of Nero, who was one of the, uh, the most wicked and the, and the cruelest of all of those. And he, that's who is oppressing him, and that's who is planning to kill him. He had, listen, he had nothing to look forward to. And he's there for the simple reason he was telling people about Jesus. That's it. Of course, Rome saw it as him being guilty of treason against Caesar. 
It's the same charge that they put Jesus to death on the cross, treason against Caesar. There was a law in the day that said, you can have no allegiance to anyone above Caesar. Caesar is Lord. But when a person receives Christ into their heart, then they have to confess the fact that he now is my Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so when you're drawn into that argument and you admit, no, I respect Caesar, but Jesus is still Lord, it's treason. And so it didn't bother Pilate when he put Jesus to death because they said he was a god. Pilate said, maybe he is. Pilate was a polytheist, as many of the Romans were. Maybe he is a god. I'll light a candle under his image. One more God ain't going to hurt anything. <laughs> and so he didn't bother him. It bothered the Jewish leadership because they said, that's blasphemy. He can't claim to be God. Pilate said, that doesn't give me any heartburn. But then all of a sudden they said, no, wait, oh, wait. He says he's king. You remember the superscript, uh, inscription over the cross was, here's Jesus, king of the Jews? Treason. Well, it's the same charge now against Paul. We're going to put him to death. He's going to stand before Nero. He appealed his right as a Roman citizen. He had the right to appeal, to appear before Caesar. He's chained between two guards. He's playing for time. And let me tell you what this boy would not be writing about if that were me, joy. Now, be honest with you. Would anybody be writing about rejoice in the Lord? I hope you're doing great. God bless all of you people. I'd be whining a little bit. I'll be, I'll just, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'd be, I'd be just, why God? Why me? It doesn't make sense. You're unfair. You're all that, right? I mean, my, my, my letter would look more like Ecclesiastes. <laughs> the crying out of the prophet. For injustice and all that kind of thing. That's not Paul. Let me tell you, that's not natural. That's supernatural. And Paul is writing about something. He's saying, I want you guys to have joy. I'm joyous. I'm joyful. I'm experiencing this. And did you know when you really read the record, you find that several of those Romans guards, several of those guys actually became Christ followers. They actually gave their hearts to Christ because Paul. Now look, man, if you're not into church and you're not into Christ and you're not into the message of the gospel, the last guy you want to be chained to is Paul. Can you imagine? You'd be wondering, what did I ever do to deserve this? Who in the hierarchy, who in the chain of command has, again, I'm chained to Paul. All this guy talks about is Jesus. He'll change your life. He changed my life. He'll make you a new person. Jesus is real. He, he, I know he died on the cross. He rose again. I saw him after his resurrection. Jesus is real for the love of God. <laughs> Can we just stop with the Jesus talk? I mean, don't you know they had to get tired of that, but that was just Paul. It was in his mind and heart. He wanted everybody to know about Jesus, and a lot of them did. In fact, I can even show you a verse where it says that the fame of Paul's message reached the palace. Nero heard about it. So I'm just suggesting to you that in the middle of all that he was going through, Paul stayed focused on what he was about, and he never let what was going out here get inside here. And I think I found the reason why. I'm going to give you four things, and we'll go home. The first thing, it involved what I'm calling his perspective. Paul had the right view of what he was going through. Even though it didn't make sense, and even though he didn't understand, here's what Paul knew. Paul knew God is in control. Listen, the things you and I go through, God either causes them to happen or permits them to happen. But nothing can happen to you that he's not aware of. The Bible says you're in his hand. If you're in his hand, the only way anything can get to you, it has to go through him. So even the things that he allows to happen, that he doesn't cause to happen, he has a purpose for them happening. 
And Romans 8, 28 says, all of those things can ultimately work for our good and his glory. So don't waste your trouble. Don't waste it. Learn something from it. James 1 that Micah shared, uh, brothers and sisters, count it joy when you're going into difficult trials. He didn't say when you're coming out, that's when we rejoice. <laughs> Thank God that's over. He said when you're going, how many, honest to God, how many of us really do that? When was the last time you said, you know what, Lord? I got a little debate going with the mate. Thank you for that. Awesome. It's going to be tense around the house. I just want to say thank you, Lord. Kids aren't getting along. Thank you, Jesus, for that. There's going to be some real, there's going to be some bad tension. In the, oh, man, I, I didn't make the sale. The contract fell through. Thank you, Lord. I just want to rejoice. Can I tell you, God, thank you for, you know, that's not how it works. Nobody does that. And James is saying that's, again, not natural. It's supernatural when you can go into a situation and be grateful, not for the situation, but you can be grateful because you have a perspective that God has a purpose in that situation. God does, again, with purpose, for purpose, on purpose. Paul had that perspective. In fact, you see it when you read Philippians 1.12. Here's what he said. Listen, the things that happened to me, Remember, I told you he had been betrayed by other people. Uh, he had been beaten and left for dead. Uh, he had some terrible things. He said, listen, the things that happened to me, here it is, have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. Get that image in that translation, fallen out. One translation, uh, he said, I've released it. I've let it go. Did you know if you're going to have the right perspective on the problems and the trials you go through in life, there are some things you're going to have to release. There's some things you got to let go of. One of the things might be your need to know all the details about everything you're going through. Why me and why this and why now and why God? I've told you before, God seldom explains himself. He, does, he, he doesn't ask anybody's permission. If you're waiting on him to explain, you're going to be waiting a long, long time. Isaiah demanded, God, please tell me. God, help me. I just got to know. I can't go forward without understanding why this and why me, why, all that. And God finally, here's what he said. He said, Isaiah, as far as the clouds and the heavens are above your head, so far are my ways and thoughts above yours. What he was saying, he wasn't being condescending. He was saying, son, if I explained it to you, you might not understand it or agree with it. So here's the takeaway. Trust me. I'm God. You're not. Trust me. I've told you before, the, the biggest test of your faith is not do you have enough faith to be healed. The biggest test of your faith is do you have enough faith not to be healed? Is your faith strong enough to hear God tell you no? Told me no. Told Paul no. I, all I'm saying, guys, is life is full of these kinds of trials and these kinds of difficulties and these kinds of struggles. And, you, and Listen, some things you've you got to let go of. Some of you guys are carrying burdens God didn't design you to carry. You ever go across the little country bridges and it says load limit on the little bridge? It's because somewhere there's an engineer that designed that bridge in such a way he knew exactly, she knew exactly how much weight the bridge could handle. You ever get on the elevator and you see the weight of the elevator? You ever count the people on the elevator? You ever do the math after you've counted the people on the elevator? I mean, you look like a clown car when the door's open. You've been on those elevators? Honestly, I, I've done that. I've looked at me, I said, well, I know what I weigh. And me and that chick are right in there together. I know. 
I'm guessing we're in the zone. You ever done that? And I'm just suggesting you those elevators are designed in such a way to handle a certain amount of load. Did you know there's specks on you in heaven? Did you know God, metaphorically, <laughs> he looks at you sometimes when we're whining so much and we don't get it, he looks and says, you, you, no, you're good. Listen, sometimes he gives his heaviest weight to his strongest kid. And I found in my life, he will either take the pressure off of you or he'll give you the strength to carry it. He loves you that much. And so I'm suggesting Paul had a perspective. I got, I got to let this go. By the way, you know what the idea of forgive is? Release, let go of. So sometimes you let stuff go. Sometimes you let people go. Sometimes you have somebody toxic in your life and you just, you hold on to them thinking if I can hold them long enough, I can fix them. You can't fix them. You can't, nobody's gonna change until they want to be changed. You can will it, wish it, work toward it. It ain't gonna happen. You're gonna wear you out and wear them out until they get to a point. Even God won't reach a person until they get reachable. So I'm saying sometimes there's people in your orbit, you release, you love them, you pray for them. But you have to recognize the fact helping them is hurting you. And there's some people you just, you just got to say, I, I, I got to release this. I got to release them. Sometimes that falls in the form of forgiveness. And I know why some people hold on to the, the anger that they have in their life. We've got people in our church that have gone through some horrendous things, unspeakable things. And I'm not hard on anyone when they're holding on to it. I'm saying it may not be time for you to let that go. But I'm saying at some point... You have to trust God and you have to release it. People say, Bill, I feel like if I let, them, let it go, if I forgive, if, if I release that, then they're getting off the hook and justice won't happen. And they're getting by. Let me tell you something. If you belong to God, ain't nobody getting by with nothing. Give that to you in Texan. He said, vengeance is mine. God said, I will repay. Will you take up for your kids? You think he won't take up for you? I'm just saying it's above your pay grade. When you hold on to that, you're holding on to something, you're powerless to change, and all of it's going to do eventually is hurt you. If you doubt that, just sometimes make a fist, hold it as tight as you can for as long as you can. And what you'll find is for long your arm is hurting, and then for long your shoulder is hurting. And for, did you know that's what this thing does when you hold it? That's why one of the Beatitudes, again, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What is pure in heart? I share this with one of the services. Pure, the word pure in the Greek is katharos. <laughs> we get the word catheter from that. Now, um, shall I say, uh, has the ability to remove impurities from the body. Is that far? We won't go any farther than that. Google it if you don't know that. But here's the point. The point is there has to be a system in your heart that removes impurities from it or your heart gets poison. Catharos. Jesus said, blessed are the catharos, the people that have the ability to do like Paul said, to let some things fall out, to release some things, to let some things go. And guys, it'll give you the right perspective. I got to go quick now. About burnt my clock on that one. Number two, <laughs> it involves your priorities. Priorities. Paul had the right priority. You see it in Phil uh, yeah, Philippians 3.13. He said, this one thing I do. Remember city slickers, curly? One thing I do. 
Paul said this one thing I do. This, I'm focused. I'm a man on a mission. I, I'm, I'm focused on who God's made me to be and why I'm on this earth. And I'm, I'm absolutely focused on that mission. And in order to achieve the mission, you have to establish priorities. Everybody wants a piece of you. Everybody wants some of your time. Everybody wants some of your... So I'm just saying, you, you have to live because you're a limited resource. There's not enough of you to go around. So you have to come back and decide, if I don't establish the priorities for my life, then I'm going to live according to the pressure that people put on me. So you, you have to stop, hit the pause button on your life, take a sabbatical, get away, think through this and say, what I'm doing ain't working. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making a lot of people happy and at the end of the day, I am unhappy. Is everybody happy? Good, because I'm not. <laughs> so you have to recognize that and say, I'm not gonna help anybody or be good to anybody if I can't fix this. So you get along with God, take a little sabbatical and establish some priorities. And I can give you five quickly that I can support with scripture. One is God. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1-1, start where he started. That's not God in relation to church. That's just God in relation to your, religion, uh, your relationship. That means God if you never go to church. That means God if, you know, <laughs> that's just God. Meaning I have a relationship with him, he's first. Number two, your spouse. You remember, he established the family there. He had Adam, he had Eve, he put them in the garden. So you have your spouse, there's a priority. Number three, kids. Kids are a priority. Along came Cain and Abel. They had, later, they had kids later on, so kids are probably, number uh, four was work. Remember he told Adam, keep this place, take care of this world I've created, you're responsible, you're to be a steward of this planet, take care of this place. Somebody says, wow, if there weren't sin in the world, I'd never have to work. Well, reread that, God instituted work before sin ever entered the picture. Now, sin just makes it harder. <laughs> Gotta deal with people that are dishonest and, you know, and untrustworthy and all the problems that come associated with that, but I'm saying, Work is a priority. And number five, worship. Their sacrificial system was there in the garden. Remember the first murder in the Bible when, the two, when one brother killed the other one? By the way, sidebar here. Do you know the first murder of the Bible happened over a religious difference? <laughs> People are still killing themselves over religious differences. You ever thought about that? Anyway, here's the point. Uh, Cain kills Abel. But the point is they knew about worship. They had a sacrifice, they had an altar, they had this recognition that God is to be worshiped in that way. So what I don't want you to miss are those are really good priorities that he established when he set everything up in the beginning of time. So you can make priority six, seven, eight, nine. But what I'm saying is if you'll do that, if you'll live according to priority, then you can simply say, now that's gonna take me away from this. This is a priority, I can't do that. And you have to tell some people no. You'll have to put some things off. You have to take the cape away. You're not going to wear the cape and fly in and fix things. And, and that's hard, especially in my profession. I'll be honest with you, man. It, it is hard because you know, when you're a, a pastor, you think you can fix things and you really feel like you can, you know, where you fly in and you sprinkle some pastor dust around and, you know, do well, be happy. And whoosh, you're off. And who was that man? I just have a little silver bullet here. I've just mixed my characters, but you get the point. Well, some of you are wired that way. But when you live according to priority, you can give yourself permission to know you can't do all that. So you have it, you have perception or, or perspective, you have priorities. Number three, power. You need his power to do this. I'll give it to you quickly, Philippians 4.13. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Everything I need to do, I have the ability to do because he empowers me to do it. I can tell when I'm running on my energy and not his, I get stressed out, I get weighted down, I get worn out and I get easily wrought up. 
So I realize I'm drawing on the wrong strength, but when I'm pulling from his power and I'm relying on his energy, it's, it's limitless. So you have this idea of his power. And here's the fourth and the final thought. You have his purpose. You live your life again according to purpose. I love Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything there is a season. Life is made up of seasons, good ones, bad ones, but life is seasonal. And he said, to everything there's a season. And then he said, in those seasons, there's a time to every purpose under heaven. Your time and my time is tied to purpose. You're going to be here as long as you have a purpose for being here. Somebody said, well, I just don't know, man, if, you know, if, if God is finished with me. Well, can I help you with that? You'll know. <laughs> You'll know the minute he's done with you. Anybody close to you is going to know that too. Because the minute he's done with you, uh, you experience something called death, which is by separation, or by definition, separation. It means your body will be separate from your spirit and soul that will return to God. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, you'll immediately be absent from this body as you become present with the Lord. You'll say good night down here and good morning up there. And until that happens, precious friend, he's got a reason for you being here. There's a purpose for your life. And one of the things I hope you know is he cannot fail you. He will not fail you. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that in the midst of all you and I go through, God has this amazing ability to bring us love and to bring us joy. I hope you're experiencing it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And I pray for my friends watching and those in the room today. I pray that they will have received something from the service today, maybe something in the worship or something in the message that will touch their life in such a way that will make them more effective, make them a better person, a better business person, a better, uh, just a better citizen, a better neighbor, a better mom, dad, son or daughter, better friend. Father, we're all in this process of being transformed, and I, I pray as we take these steps, we'll see more of your love reflected and more of your joy. And finally, Father, I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you as their Savior. Lord, I pray you'll impress upon their hearts the truth that you taught, that it is not their religion, it's their relationship to you. You said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So, Father, I pray they'll humble their heart and they'll pray a simple prayer like this and just simply say, God, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. And this is the prayer that I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.